Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. A little over a year ago, in an episode called Life Interrupted, I interviewed Miami resident Lisa Howland, an only child of divorced parents who became her father's sole caregiver well before he was accurately diagnosed with a form of dementia that affects more than one million Americans and is the second most common type of progressive dementia after Alzheimer's disease. Lisa's dad, a former businessman, now in his mid-80s, has Lewy body dementia. She began noticing changes in her father's behavior when he was in his late 60s, however, and as Lisa noted in our interview, because her father was highly intelligent, he was able to disguise his symptoms well. Outsiders considered his odd behavior merely eccentric, but Lisa knew better. Her father was more argumentative than usual, and he often insisted that military music was playing when it wasn't. Her father refused to see a doctor, and Lisa was concerned for his safety. She didn't want him to continue living alone, and she thought she could handle caring for her father, so she convinced him to move in with her. But as the months went on, caring for and living under the same roof with her father left Lisa exhausted. Temporary absences from work ultimately led to her quitting her job. And then one night, their living situation grew dire. Here's an excerpt from our interview about the event that marked a major turning point in both Lisa and her father's life. He crawled out of a window in the middle of the night and tried to leave the house. And to be honest, he's pretty agile. He has Parkinson's as well. But he crawled out of the window because he was having a delusion and he was trying to get away from my house. And I was terrified. And so you went after him. And I when, did. How and did I you bring him back? I had the house keys in the pocket of my pajamas, but I didn't have my phone. So I couldn't call 911. No neighbors heard me. And I really thought the only way I was going to get him back in the house or at least stop him was to trip him. So in my mind, I'm thinking if I trip him, am I going to break a bone? And I convinced him to come back in the house because his pets were in the house. His pets were in the house. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got him back in. And then I calmed him down and he went back to bed. And in the morning when he woke up with the CNA, we went to his doctor and he punched me at the doctor's and tried to put my head through a window and then threw hot coffee on me and tried to run away. He was in the middle of an episode and it was kind of a big scene. A lot has changed for Lisa and her dad since the time of our interview. She's here to share those changes with us, and she joins us today from Miami, Florida. Lisa Howland, welcome back to the AgeWise podcast. Thank you. We're in such a much better place now. That's really good to hear. Really. What I've had to do since the beginning of this, I always think my life is so boring and never changes. And if I look back a year, two years, three years, five years, my life is anything but boring and it's constantly changing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When we last spoke, your dad was in an assisted living facility that he wound up in after that excerpted incident where he crawled out of the window of your house. 
Well, it was more of a memory care facility than assisted living. And I put him there. He didn't end up there. Right. I had to. The evening that that happened, that wasn't the first scary event. Mm -hmm. And when you're operating under a state of emergency, you're tired, you're worn out, you're trying to do the best job you can. And when you realize you're hiding the knives in your kitchen and not really rationalizing that, you end up having to place your parent. Right. So he stayed there for almost two years. And I started getting frustrated with the level of care he was receiving. Mm -hmm. And the monthly bill, very large. Uh The medical services were on site. But I didn't feel that he was receiving enough one-on-one care. Mm -hmm. So then I went into hiring private aid to solely work for him and while he was still living there yes okay while he was still at the alf okay right and even if you have long-term care insurance they will absolutely not contribute to hiring additional staff for you so the Hmm. money runs very quickly big bill so you have a little comfort and peace of mind if you can't get there every day And you know that you could contact the person immediately by phone, text message, just check in if you'd like. But then there seems to be, in probably the best of places, a conflict between the the division of responsibilities between your private care and the staff of the facility. So after multiple meetings and a lot of finger pointing, I realized that he wasn't even getting bathed every day which I think is a basic human necessity, Mm -hmm. especially if they're incontinent. So I made the decision to, I either thought I'd bring my father back home because he was no longer ambulatory. So I thought maybe I could do that with caregivers at home. Mm -hmm. Or I wanted to move him from a small memory care facility with about 100 people or to a private home, which is still considered an assisted living facility. And a private home usually is only licensed for six to eight residents. So I didn't know this. And usually when you have to place your parent, you're under extreme duress, operating under the state of emergency. You're without a lot of resources. There's no way to acquire the knowledge that you need um, in the time frame that you need it. And you simply wouldn't know how to ask the questions that you need answers to. What I found, though, however, in the state of Florida is that the state will not allow you to leave one facility and enter another if you cannot stand on your own and pivot. The only option after a memory care facility, an assisted living facility, or any other facility of that sort, you then go into critical care nursing, which, quite frankly, I believe is a death sentence. You mean skilled nursing? Is that what they call it? Skilled Skilled nursing? nursing. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't think the care is any better. I haven't seen examples of it being any better. I went to check out a different facility that had an ALF on premises, but then allowed you when you needed to progress to a skilled nursing facility. And I was unimpressed. It kind of seemed like a warehouse and I didn't see a lot of compassion. And I decided that was not the route that I was going to take. Mm -hmm. So, while my father was still in decent enough physical condition, which he also has Parkinson's that has progressed quite rapidly, I decided to move him to 
to a facility where he would get one-on-one care with a maximum residence of five. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So far, I'm satisfied with that, but you still have to be a helicopter child. Right. The opposite of being a helicopter parent. Right. In any way that you can be. Yeah. And that model is, there have been successful situations where people have started small homes like that, but it's not that widespread. What do you know about that particular setup? Because I think it's a really optimal setup in certain ways, right? Well, I think, yes, it is. And I think the reason they are more prevalent here, although I had a hard time, a really difficult time finding the resources to locate these particular facilities. I think it's more prevalent here because we have a larger aging population. So many people retire here in the warm weather. Mm -hmm. So there is the opportunity and it's definitely a money-making business for the owners. I went to visit quite a few and one of the problems here that probably other people don't encounter is in Miami, a lot of homes were just Spanish. Uh So with someone that's hard of hearing and experiencing dementia, The last thing they need is communication problems due to language. Right. So finding a facility with the caregivers and the other residents that all spoke English was, I was hard-pressed for that one. Hmm. You wouldn't think so, but it was. Mm -hmm. And where did you begin your search, and how many did you actually end up looking at? I looked at about six, Uh and I kind of started on the Internet, Mm -hmm. and I had several of those services that seem rather innocuous, but they can end up harassing you because they want to ask you private financial information. They want to, of course, they get a commission for placing you. And just by luck, I happened to see something that was improperly represented on the internet. And when I told the gentleman what I was looking for, he recommended me to a woman that is the sole proprietor of a placement agency. So of course she received the commission for replacing but she makes the introduction. So that's another definite business. Then, you know, you are free to go online, check out violations. You're free to go meet with the people, decide. The fee does vary in these places depending on your mental and physical needs, occupancy, and I believe it's negotiable, but the average price is probably 2500 to $6,000 a month. That's a pretty wide yeah. range. It is. But, for example, there is a wonderful resident of my father's new living situation, and she's 97 years old, in very good health, and she still drives during the daylight hours. Hmm. But her children, living in other states, want her to have someone there. So she might be considered one of the residents with maybe a lower per month fee. Mm-hmm. Because she's a little more ambulatory. So how many total exactly. are, How many total are in the home in this place? I think licensing allows for eight. Okay. Six to eight. Six and to some eight. homes are all men, some uh-huh. homes are all women, and some homes are mixed. I think it really has a lot to do with the owners paying attention to personality. Mm-hmm. Because for some people that still you know, have the capacity to have camaraderie, it's nice of these men or women of the same era to be able to have the social bonding of a similar adult experience. You know, it can provide, we celebrate holidays of all, of all religions, uh, dinners are together, lunch, you know, all meals are together. Mm-hmm. There can be outings. But the nice thing is, once again, the medical is provided within the facility. They come to you. You don't have to go out. 
Right. And when did your dad move into this home? I struck while the iron was hot and <sighs> while he was still doing what I thought to be was very well in December. December of 2016. Yes. Okay. So that's really, really new. It's pretty new. Yeah. And uh, the, the facility that he left from, I was not aware of the stand and pivot law by the state of Florida. And quite frankly, I don't understand what purpose it serves because eventually most people will not be ambulatory. So that's something that I wish I had known. Had I known that, I might have made a different decision regarding placement in the very first place. Right. Location. And I still see no purpose for the law itself. I really don't. So let's clarify this for the listeners. If your parent or loved one, whomever, is in an assisted living facility in the state of Florida, if that person cannot stand and pivot, they must go into the skilled nursing wing? No, no. What it, let, let's what define it, what, that, what, yeah. Okay. What it would be, would be if you were exiting the facility, leaving, they can mm-hmm. go home with you, or they have to step it up a tier and go to skilled nursing. I see. You may not enter, you may not enter an assisted living facility if you cannot stand and pivot. I don't know how that would work for people, for example, that are suffering from MS because they have cognitive abilities long after their physical abilities have come to that point. Right. So if your dad moved into this other home, how were you able to circumvent him moving in with you or moving into the skilled nursing wing of that other facility? Home was an option. However, the expense would even be larger. Right. And when I'm with my father, he prefers me to do everything, including not leave the house. So I, there's almost no reason to have a nurse there because he won't allow them to do anything if I'm present. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and, which is very sweet and endearing. I'm laughing because it's, it's so familiar. Little, yeah. It's a little tough on my back. Yeah. But I, well, for that period of time, he'd been taking a particular Parkinson's medication and he must have been having a good day because during the examination, he was able to. Oh, okay. So, But I continue to keep my dad in physical therapy, whether or not, unfortunately, Medicare, you have to cycle in and cycle out. It has right. to be ordered. Mm-hmm. And there are only so many visits per month, which right. is also ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It should just be continuous. I don't understand that at all. If someone is suffering from Parkinson's, I think, physical therapy, occupational therapy, they can benefit from that until the end. So I don't understand why there's basically a monthly cap on that. So and then there's the whole recertification process, which is yes. such yes. a pain. So we go, I don't like it to be interrupted. So we go out of pocket for mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. when Medicare ends. And then we wait till we cycle back in and start it up on Medicare. It's absurd. I don't usually open the Medicare statements because they usually deduct the health insurance and other other things. So I don't have enough time really to look at those. But I recently opened one and I'm still being billed for the rental of a hospital bed from about a year ago. Oh, my. And I have since purchased my own hospital bed that is electric. But there's a lot of fraud. And when I went to report the fraud, basically, I was just met, met with a brick wall. So I can only spend so many hours trying to do that. Yeah, you got to pick your battles, huh? To know exactly to no avail. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was a hospital bed that was where he was in a regular bed at the assisted living facility. Mm -hmm. And when he became incontinent and no longer ambulatory, it became not only for his benefit, but for mine and the caregivers to have a bed that could raise and lower. 
So I asked the doctor for it in the facility. Medicare ordered it. Uh-huh. Apparently, you rent it for a certain amount of time and then you own it. And okay. when it wasn't exactly the right bed, I think maybe it wasn't fully electric. I decided he needed that. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't had the Medicare bed for a certain amount of time, they won't give you the next level up. Wow. So, so, so difficult. I just decided it would be better to yeah. outright purchase the bed. I see. So I gave the bed back to the facility. And mm-hmm. apparently they have this large storage room with a lot of extra equipment. The same, for example, goes for a wheelchair, too. You rent it, you rent it, you rent it, and finally you own it, which I think is an absurdity. <laughs> wow. Because a wheelchair ends up costing about Much cars. more, right, than yeah. if you bought yeah, it outright. It, it doesn't make any sense. Right. It's, there's so many different aspects that are a waste with the system. So after I returned the bed, gave it back to the facility and said, I no longer need this, do what you like, they, they told me, oh, you own it. And then I'm still getting a bill for the rental which I have yet to figure out because I can't get this company to return my phone call. Like you yeah. said, you have to pick your battles. You know, I'm more worried about medication and the further that my father progresses, I believe in the facility, they do medicate for behavioral issues as well as medical. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of leaning now towards less medication is better mm-hmm. because there's an app on my phone that I enter all the medications. Uh-huh. Then I read the interactions. Uh-huh. Then I read what it's actually used for on FDA, off FDA. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's the know. name of the app? I think listeners might be interested in knowing um, that. It's called drugs.com. Drugs.com. And that's an yeah. app that you can download from the Apple Store? Yeah. Okay. Well, it works for you. We're not in the business of plugging things, you know, just for right. the sake of it. But, <laughs> yeah. but it, if it yeah. works for no, you, I think listeners would like to know about it. When I'm taking seven pills at breakfast, two pills at lunch, three pills in the afternoon and three pills at dinner. I kind of want to know how all of these are functioning together, what their real usage is. And as he progresses in the dementia, I, you know, some of them, they're, they're listed for one cause, but then they cause another symptom. So lately my dad has, he still can have conversations, mm-hmm. but he's not so present in the moment. He'll talk to me about things that are irrelevant to our relationship. So he and, recognizes um, you? Of course. There yeah, are about five people that he still recognizes. Okay. Yes. yes. But he's not in the moment as of saying, hi, how are you? Today is this day. What are you doing? He's not really stuck in another area, but the cognitive ability to be able to carry on a conversation and progress from point A to B doesn't really seem to exist any longer. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that lately, and that's very hard. Yeah. Because you feel like you're losing them. Do you losing s- your connection. Do you still see signs of his old personality? I do. I okay. do. My dad had a pretty funny sense of humor, and we had a few words that were particularly our own vocabulary. No one else would understand uh-huh. the sarcasm or uh-huh. the meaning. Uh-huh. And he came out with a few of those the other day, and I looked in his eye, and I saw a glint, and I left feeling good that day. Yeah, can't say good. that every day. So that, is that mostly the dementia at work, you think? Because Parkinson's affects the body really differently. Uh, I think the Parkinson's and the dementia are very closely related. I, I think they are. And his body is changing, right. you know, where he had lean muscle mass. Parkinson's, you know, it, 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 it affects not only the muscles that you use, but it affects your involuntary muscles as well, such as your digestive system. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing Michael J. Fox for all these years, 
testify before Congress and seeing his tremor and his tics, what he seems to have, and I don't want to insult him in any way, it pales in comparison to what I'm seeing now and the quick progression of it. I think an average layperson would think it's much more mild than it is. But ultimately, Parkinson's, you don't have the ability to swallow. So it's quite extreme. And I'm, I believe it's quite painful. So is he taking... Have, I'm sorry, go ahead. You, I think you were going to ask me the same question. Is he taking pain pills? Uh, no, I was going to ask if he's taking all of his meals now in the home. Or I know you used to take him out for meals. I do not. You, okay. I have taken him out only three times in the last three months because it's very hard even with assistance to get him in and out of the car mm-hmm. and it's painful for him as well his his muscles his legs are locked in the bent position mm-hmm. and I don't know necessarily that he's benefiting from from the I'm going to say chaos of going out yeah um, because it is confusing I think familiarity is is the best at this point Mm-hmm. He'll have confabulations, and there are some that I correct him, and I reinforce, and I correct, and I correct because they're disturbing. He and will have confabulations. Are... You said, "Yes." How do you yes. define that? An absolute untruth of a memory. Uh huh. For example, he was very close to his parents, and uh, they have been gone for, you know, one for fifty-three years, and one for twenty-six years. Mm-hmm. And currently he's believing that his father just recently passed away and died rather traumatically and was unable to attend the funeral. So huh. that causes him a great amount of distress. Mm. So I try to straighten that out. But if he's telling me that he's going to work today, I don't try to straighten that out. I yeah. say, enjoy your day. Right. So you have to choose the ones some are just, and I don't know if some of these are a result of the disease or a result of, too much medication and I have a friend that's many years younger than myself and we were on the phone discussing medical appointments with these specific neurologists and we came to the conclusion that because these diseases really cannot be proven until autopsy after death that's the only real diagnosis certainly for Alzheimer's decided, yeah yes Yes, we decided that all of these doctors appointments where they ask a series of rather stupid questions. You should ask your child's birthday. You should ask what year you were married, not who's the president was today. <laughs> right. My dad prepared for those questions. He uh-huh. knew. Interesting. He knew. Mm-hmm. So we decided that all of these doctor visits are basically just a collection of data mm-hmm. and really nothing more than that because they don't really help you. A collection of data that is repetitive and not Yes. In that sense, not really useful, it would seem. I mean, we're, I'm not a physician, so I don't mm-hmm. know. But I know these questions are the same because I've taken my mom to these sorts of appointments. And they're the same questions over and over. And I can see, well, I didn't really yeah. even think about the preparation aspect of it. But that's very clever of your father, you know, to, to well, prepare. Well, I, I realized when he came to live with me, older people get their news from the newspaper. We get our news on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And he wanted his paper delivered to my home and he would get very irritated when on some days it didn't show up as that happens with a newspaper delivery and I didn't realize why he was getting so angry about it but what he would do would be to tear off the corner of the paper with the date written on it then he would write his birth year 
and he would subtract the number to come up with his age. Wow, how clever. And if we had a doctor's appointment, I would catch him putting a piece of paper up his sleeve or in his sock. Wow. <laughs> he is crafty. Yes, because what is the result of having someone tell you that you're infirm? It's the loss of your independence. Yeah. And there are some days when he still thinks that he is somehow being punished hmm. by not being able to live in his house, by not being able to drive a car, by not... He actually doesn't realize that he doesn't walk. Hmm. He's not even aware of that. We went to lunch, and I used my handicap placard, and I parked in a handicapped space. And he pulled up, and he pointed out to me, and he said, you're going to get a $250 ticket. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I Dad. Said, Dad, I have, I have the placard. <laughs> and I have your wheelchair in the back of the car. He said, wheelchair? Okay, I'll just get out now. So I do take some, you know, at least satisfaction in knowing that he doesn't think that he's ill. Yeah. I think that gives me some solace. But I'm no longer operating in the state of emergency. This has just become my life. That was one of my questions. What is your new normal now? And are you sleeping through the night? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Lisa. <laughs> the ringer, my ringer is always on. Fortunately, I know that if something were to happen to my father in the middle of the night, it would never be a text message. So I don't ever dread receiving a text. Uh-huh. Sometimes there's a fear when the phone rings. But the phone is always on. It's always on. And I'm always prepared to be there at a moment's notice. Have you and gotten any calls? No, I am very fortunate that my father has not fallen. There is a new resident who has recently fallen and he had surgery to accompany his injury and he didn't come back the same because mm -hmm. the smallest thing is the catalyst for the decline can be. So I used to think, you know, energy and mindfulness was all garbage. Really, <laughs> I'm too much of a type A to absorb <laughs> that stuff. But I find that it's working for me. And I find that spending a few moments thinking about memories of when you were a child or a young adult, just something other than this situation, mm -hmm. a vacation, even a fight, something where their personality was full on there and they were your parent. Mm -hmm. I find that that's comforting because this is just another stage of life. And sometimes when I want to be a little girl, yeah. look for comfort and advice, that's not there. Try to make every decision thinking that he's there and fully intact and would he approve. You know, right today I'm still going through his home and cleaning out personal things and I see his own handwriting because he doesn't write anymore and I see his own handwriting on something I'm throwing away and it's like I want to save everything. Yeah. But then you have to see what's important to save and what's not. Or I read it and I learn something private about him that I didn't know as a child doesn't know everything about their adult parent. Yeah, And I just file it, and I think, wow, you were cooler than I thought you were. Uh -huh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and there, yeah. and it, the object of them aging at this point is to do it with dignity, to do it pain-free, and to do it with respect. And that's a tall order, because I don't feel like the medical establishment, and especially in Florida, where geriatrics should be a specialty, we should have you know, one-stop shopping for all of these things, and you should have a task force of, of doctors that address everything from podiatry to hearing loss to vision. It's very hard to get a pair of glasses when you can't really tell the doctor 
oh, these are great or these don't work. You know, they don't, they're not aware of that. Right. So I just think that the care should be so much more amped up and specialized here in Florida, but it's not. Yeah, the state of Florida does not do a good job of taking care of its older folks. Social services are really no. bad here. No, and I rely on the Veterans Administration solely for hearing aids because they do make the best in the country. But for the rest, you can't take a person that is twice your size, even with a nurse, to the Veterans Administration and sit there all day, mother incontinent, not understanding where they are, and expect a good result. I even had trouble getting him a haircut at home. The girl that cuts my hair is a wonderful person, and she said, you know what? I lost my dad recently. Let me go over and cut your dad's hair. Really a special favor. So when people offer you those things, you have to take them. And this is where he is now, living in that yes. private yes. home. Okay, so it sounds like he's yes. getting really good care there. That must be satisfying it is. for you. It is. I am happy with it. I really am. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice walking into a home rather than a facility. Even though I can't say anything bad about his prior facility, I think this people, because of his personality, really thought he was interesting and a trip and humorous. But ultimately, the less people you have between the end results, the better you are off. But it's amazingly time consuming. Mm-hmm. And then you feel guilty for the few moments that you have to enjoy your own life. You feel guilty. I feel guilty that my father was cheated out of his retirement, out of his golden years. The guilt thing was a really big thing for you in our last conversation. Still and is. Still, still is, is. huh? <laughs> well, let me ask you, yeah. is your mom involved in your dad's care at all? And how is her health? No, no. And her health is not good. Mm. We do not, however, have a good relationship. Mm-hmm. It's always been tumultuous. But um, out of obligation, maybe that's, that's my next project. Oh, Lisa. I can't handle two at one time, though. <laughs> I can't. And she's still able to. She's still high functioning. She'll have different medical needs when the time comes, but... And how old is she? I mean, I, she's in her late mid-70s. And would you be willing to share your age? I'm 50. I feel like I'm a young 50, but I feel like all of my peer group were completely oblivious that any of these things could have happened. We were 40s, pretending like we were 30s, mm-hmm. not realizing. You know, you, no one goes to bed and dies in their sleep. You know, no one's that lucky. At 92, having cooked and driven for yourself up until the end. I don't know many people like that. Right, right. And I think everyone says, you know, you read if you read what's going on in the media, oh, we're making progression on this disease, that disease, here's a new medicine. I think it's all garbage. I don't see a lot of strides being made. Yeah, the narrative that we've created around aging is really youth-oriented. It is. So, I mean, this affects how we report on cures and everything. Um, Absolutely. And I'm rather lucky. Honestly, I'm rather lucky because I'm not married. I never had any children. I don't have any brothers and sisters. So all of it falls on me, but I don't have to fight with anyone else or care for anyone else. If I had two teenagers in high school trying to care for them and do this, I don't know how I would do it. If I had to maintain a marriage, I don't know how I would do that either because this is so emotionally draining better now but it's draining right are you still going to a support group i stopped doing that because my anxiety level went down a little bit uh-huh. and with my dad and you never know when it's going to call i find it hard to make regular appointments and my circle of friends has become much smaller mm-hmm. some of them are in the same situation some aren't 
And I made some wonderful friends, uh, children and spouses of other residents. Mm -hmm. And that helped. Just a little conversation. Mm -hmm. They know when you're not having a good day. And it's amazing when you see a new resident come in, it's the same story. Your parents don't want to be there. Their family's in complete complete havoc. Mm -hmm. And I've reached out to people in that same situation because I know what that felt like. I mean, it was awful. It's interesting how your friendships shift, isn't it? <laughs> yes, because your life gets smaller. Your life gets smaller, but I think more purposeful. And the ones that you lose touch with, you know, it's you'd rather have a handful of good ones than 40 ones you can't count on. I'm right. lucky enough to have childhood friends that actually call me and say, hey, can I go by and visit your dad today? That's really great. Some of the people that my dad still recognizes and enjoys talking to. Mm -hmm. And he may not know how they are in his life, but the fact that he recognizes them is fantastic. I should say. It is. It is. It really is. And and the humor that comes out. He'd love to tell people, my girlfriend's who's gained weight, who's lost weight, (laughs) ever the sexist. Oh, my God. So yeah. when we last spoke, you hadn't sold the house. So what's the status of it now? Uh, yeah. It's a burden. Mm-hmm. It's a burden to have a home. And he neglected his home for many years. And he wouldn't let me do anything to the home. Fortunately, I don't need the financial resources of the home right now. Mm-hmm. Explain why you didn't sell it. I didn't sell it because I'm not going to pay capital gains. Because it's in a trust account, right? Is it? Yeah. Okay. So, right. But I think it's entirely wrong that you have one homestead for your entire life and you aren't allowed either in life, you know, while you're still alive to sell your home. And why do you have to pay gains on money that you were taxed on when you earned it, purchased your house, paid your taxes? I just don't understand why our government hasn't realized that a lot of seniors cannot age at home. Uh-huh. So you take an enormous hit on taxes. You don't get much much of a break on property taxes if you're ill. And at, at some point in age, maybe, maybe past 75, you should be able to sell your primary residence and not pay capital gains on it. That money should be able to be put into a health care account. That's a really good idea. Your dad had put it into a trust account, which would result in capital gains taxes being paid on it if it were sold now. I've, I've gotten a lot of bad advice and a lot of good advice. But mm-hmm. the reason I think it should be that some people do place their property in trust is to avoid probate. And, you know, currently under the tax laws, uh, you sh- most people should be able to their heirs should be able to sell their home after they pass away and with inheritance tax pay nothing. But that doesn't really make room for the fact that some people need the money from the sale of their house while they're alive to pay for medical care. So it would be nice to see a change maybe after 75 if it was just tax-free. Sell your home, move into an adult community, or have a separate account just like a 529 is for education. Have this be for your medical care. That makes so much sense. Lisa, you need to run for office. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to, I really would like to explore making some of these changes, especially with the population in Florida at the, at the age that they are. It's not fair that a person that's worked their whole life has to pay taxes once again and have that money taken away from them when we all know 
that the sicker you are, the longer you live. I wouldn't be able to pay for my dad's care if it was just Social Security. I mean, the cost of care is so exorbitant now. And there's really going to be no way to bring that down. So it would be nice to see some tax changes regarding Mm -hmm. the sale of your primary residence. Why not? Mm -hmm. Lisa, I want to pivot here for a moment. Have you gone back to work at all? And what were your expectations for caregiving in terms of how long you thought it would last and how it would affect the course of your career? That's funny. And I've thought about that. Um, You know, insurance people will tell you, oh, well, when the diagnosis happens, most people when they enter a facility, it's two years. I don't know who they're talking to, but I became very fond of several residents at my dad's prior facility, living four years, six years, seven years, living relatively in the same condition without declining, Mm -hmm. but definitely needing that level of care. And there's many times where I thought my father was not doing well and wouldn't bounce back, but he has. And I realized just for my own mental and physical state, I couldn't continue operating in a state of emergency. I had to say, this is my new normal. This is what I do. You'll never be able to contribute to your social security in this amount of years. It's so much easier to spend money than just to earn money. You'll never be able to put this money back. It is what it is. This is the cost of living right now. And I want to go back to work this year. I really think that I can do that. But now I have to look probably for a different kind of work because if the phone rings, I need to leave. And that's what was happening before. So what am I going to do? Buy a business, buy a franchise, work for something where I don't make a lot of money, where I work part time. Uh-huh. I, I haven't really tackled that yet. But nobody wants to hear that. Oh, I'm sorry. This is important to you. You're my boss. These are your priorities. But this is my obligation, my liability as an employee to you. How long are you going to tolerate that? You're not going to get a lot of compassion from your employers. Would you be surprised if the year went by and you were not back at work? And when I say work, I mean corporate work or something, you know, because we all know that what you're doing now is work. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody thinks I'm on vacation far from it. But... I used to work six days a week, you know, 11, 10, 11, 12, enjoy my job. Not a problem. I was just taking care of myself. Like I said, no children, no husband wasn't an issue, but I couldn't do that now. And sometimes even just handling his house or issues for him or making the phone calls or paying the bills or setting up the appointments, that keeps me sometimes from seeing him. Thank God we have email on our phones, but often there's a clerical day once a week involved with paying medical bills, setting up appointments, making sure he has supplies, and even small things. Oh, is he getting groomed properly? Do we need a manicure? Do we need a pedicure this week? You're pretty much a a super caregiver. Give us an average day. What's a typical day like for you now? I try to make a list. Otherwise, everything falls out of my brain. I try to accomplish half of the things on my list. Um, My dad is better now in the morning than he is in the afternoon. So... Sometimes I dread maybe the mood that I'm going to find him in because I can't do anything about it. And I don't like to find him, let's say, disagreeable because I think it's stressful for him. So I'll try to see him in the morning. And the rest of my day is fantastic if he's having a good day. And if he's not, the guilt, the stress, the worry, all of that comes in. And then the rest of your day is ruined. then then lately i have been trying to bring his house back up into functioning order you know it's pretty far gone we have fuses not circuit breakers 
Uh-huh. Um, you have fuses, not circuit breakers. Okay. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. part wow. of the house. Yeah, it's pretty old. Pretty mm-hmm. old. So I've been trying to, I'm not going to say remodel. I'm going to say rehab. Spending the least amount of money I can possible so that perhaps I can get a small amount of rental income out of his house to offset his care expenses. Yeah, that's a great idea. I have to at this point. And I've done a lot of it myself to save money. I mean, I've done painting, hmm. remove flooring, uh, you name it, I've done it. You physically? So, yes. Good for you. Yeah. yeah, I'm not hiring a general contractor to do it. <laughs> I can't pay uh-huh. the bill. <laughs> yeah. And then I have pets, so I take them to see my dad. One of them is his. And I try to spend some time with my pets, and then I go home, and there's no food in the refrigerator because I haven't been to the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know that feeling. Yeah, and then I'm exhausted, and and I talk myself into a shower, and I go to bed, (laughs) and I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning worrying about everything else, stay up till 5, and start again. What do you do for yourself? Well, I've started going back to the gym, and didn't realize how hard it was. I've been out of there for, you know, quite a while. It's not helping me sleep any better. <laughs> it's not. I thought it I thought it would. Yeah, I thought it would help. But um, you know, just social time, social time with friends, you know, have some wine, talk about your day. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, everybody lives near me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when there's nothing in the fridge, you go to the closest place in the neighborhood and have something to eat and call it a day. And maybe once in a while, I'll get your nails done, you know. Oh, that's Sometimes that's all that matters. For me, a pedicure is just really up, yeah. upper. Yeah, half an hour in the massage chair make a world of difference. Absolutely. But this process of restoring your father's house, this sounds like, you know, so many caregivers evolve into a new phase of their lives and careers because of what they've learned through caregiving. Is it possible mm-hmm. you could do something like this now that is caregiving related or geriatric care related or home health aid related? Well, I actually thought I, I thought about in the future opening a very specific um, assisted living facility in a private residence that yeah. catered to certain socioeconomic people that were English-speaking and Mm like-minded and basically kind of the way I envisioned it was perhaps, let's call it a social club Mm -hmm. for gentlemen, you know, of the same era. And because I enjoy it, I always pay attention to the other residents. I enjoy whatever exchanges we have. I have some that that I adore. And the passing of some of them has made me incredibly sad. And if it made me sad only knowing them in their older years, I can't imagine what their family is feeling like. Mm -hmm. But I have considered that because there are some things that I find where details are lacking or where I think maybe I could do better. Um, I've considered doing that. And I looked into starting that and I thought, wow, I could start one, actually have my dad in one and run the show have the bathroom remodeled exactly the way I wanted to make it easier for them to get in and out. You're already running the show. (laughs) Yeah, but in a different way. So yeah, I actually thought about that. I definitely think that from here on out, whatever I'm going to do for work, it's going to be different for sure. But I also have, being that my grandmother had the same kind of illness and my dad has it in the last year or two, it's really changed my outlook on aging and how much time that I perhaps have left. And it scares me a little bit Mm -hmm. because I really now more than ever think, you know, Hey, maybe I have 20 years left. Got to get it done. Whatever you want to do, whatever's on the bucket list, do it. You have this kind of paradigm between, between enjoying yourself and doing your work. But I definitely feel like my clock is ticking. 
if I am to go the same way as my dad. Is there testing that you can get to see whether you I have these, it. and have you done it? I wouldn't. I don't think I would do it. Real? Okay. I'd be afraid to do it for several reasons. I don't think you could do it anonymously. Somehow I don't. I think that genetic information would be shared with maybe my health insurance. You know, we don't know what's happening with our health insurance in this country right now. So uh-huh. right now, pre-existing isn't affecting us, but it could. It could change. And it's in the back of my mind already that genetically I will probably go the same way. But I don't really want to know that. Okay. I don't think that would do me any good. If I start to see the signs, maybe in 10 years, maybe I'll get diagnosed and make my preparations. But I'm not even sure that I want to buy long-term care for myself. Not that many companies are writing it anymore because they realize they're losing money as the population is aging, such great numbers of them. But mm-hmm. I don't know how I'll make the same decisions for myself in advance when the time comes. Not that I'll be able to. But mm-hmm. I'm not attached to a home, you know, like our older generation is. So I won't be like this generation that's, oh, I need to stay in my home. I need to stay in my home. I don't care about that. Are you in a townhouse now? No, I'm in a I'm in a regular small house. Well, yeah. would you want to stay I, in your house? You're, it sounds like you're saying no. No, I don't. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't care. That's another generation I think that is so attached to their home, and I think it's scary for it's scary for them to get out of it. It's familiarity, and I think we move and we change jobs much more than the previous generation. So I don't think it's as big of a deal for us. Yeah. The problem with people aging in place in this country is that so many people still live in the suburbs and it's hard to get services and you, and older adults are more isolated out in the suburbs. They are. And there are cities that have become more age friendly and are sort of addressing the aging population in that way. But the majority of Americans still live in the suburbs. And, and that's one of the reasons why aging in place is such a challenge in this country. Well, I think there is a place, I don't know the name, there's a community somewhere in Ocala in Central Florida. They have a lot of 55 over communities. And, you know, when you're younger, you make fun of those places. They have like the town hall with entertainment and right. socializing. And if you're a man over 75 that can still drive, you are a hot ticket. I think it's fantastic that people move into communities like that where they're with their age group that are all eventually going to be dealing with the same issues. I think it's a great decision to make do that while you're still able to you know you're you're with your peers why not right there's a community up up north it's called the villages i think there's like half a million people there i think people are very smart to move into there while they can still establish new relationships new friendships set everything up for themselves i think it's fantastic Mm -hmm. but for people living alone if you have an elderly person on your street check in with them just check in they open their door they say hello look in befriend them Find out where their family is, who their family is, who mm-hmm. their connections are. Mm-hmm. Not a lot out of your time. But I think it's a responsibility. I think everyone should do it. I was going to ask what advice you would give listeners now based on what you've learned since we last spoke. So I'd like to give you that opportunity to um, answer that question, but also to offer up any last thoughts. Um, it's a learning process. You have to be kind and patient with yourself. You have to try to hold on to the memories of your parent when they were younger and not sick. You got to be in the moment, but you also have to think of all the moments. And you need your paperwork in order. And it's a very difficult conversation because no parent wants to have it, no child wants to have it. But everybody needs to have a plan. You know, they told us after 9 11, oh, you need a family plan. You need, if, if, if communication is knocked out, you need a place that you know your family's all going to meet. It's a disaster plan. You definitely need it. 
And mm-hmm. the sooner you do it, the less complicated it is and the less stressful it is. You mm-hmm. do it under a state of duress or an emergency, you're going to get wrong advice or bad advice. And you're going to make decisions under duress that you might, looking back on, would want to change. So, and I think just people need to have more compassion. Don't park in a handicapped spot. Help an older person to the car with their groceries. Just simple things. So have you seen your dad today? No, I haven't seen him today. Okay. I may see him this afternoon. And how I close? Want to bring the dog. You want to bring the dogs? Well, I can't tell you what animals do. Oh yeah, for big time. All residents, you'll see a spark in their eye. Someone that hasn't spoken in weeks will all of a sudden come out with "good dog, puppy," and you know, you're, it's good. It's yeah, good it's really great to watch, huh? It is. It is. Yes, I do want to bring the dogs, and we're very close. We're ten miles. It happens to be in traffic patterns, so it does take some time. But I always like to give myself a little drive exiting to. Think about my visit, calm myself down, center myself. Was it a good day? Was it a bad day? Did you do the best you could? Listen, can you... A little separation. Yeah, a little separation. Can you remind listeners of how... You referenced ACA when you were looking for a home of this type. Can you suggest an approach online that listeners can take if they're looking for this sort of home for their parent or a loved one? Well, ACA, can't remember what it stands for. I wish I could. That is the state's, I'm going to say regulatory. They do spot checks on homes and grade them. You know, the schedule has to be on the wall. The meal plan has to be on the wall. The medications have to be segregated. No paper plates can be used. Essentially, the health department, if if you will. Mm -hmm. So they just drop in with that appointment and all the violations or good things for for any place, inspection dates can be found online when it pertains to a particular care facility. The state will not recommend an ALF to you because that would be a conflict of interest. Online, for me, it was hit and miss, definitely hit and miss. There are a lot out there. In fact, down the street from my own home is one, and I didn't realize it until I passed by every day with my dog, and I thought, hmm, why are there so many people having dinner at the dining room table? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> and then I realized what it was. But they are listed on the Internet under ALF, but oh, you might okay. have to be in different words, okay. small, private, private home ALF. I can't say that I'm the best searcher, but I just don't give up. So what that's is, how I was able to do that. Mm-hmm. And there are professional placement people, but I don't know necessarily how they would advertise. I would uh-huh. try Facebook starting with that, which I don't subscribe to, but most people do. Okay, so we'll have a link to Lisa's full interview from a year ago on the AgeWise website, plus more information on Lewy Body Dementia and Parkinson's. Lisa Howland, it's been great talking with you. Thanks so much for coming back. And as always, keep up the great work. Thank you. Keep you up. as well. Keep Good up. talking to you too. Bye-bye. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. In the meantime, if you like this show, please tell your friends and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Rate us. The AgeWise podcast is distributed nationally on the Speak Up Talk radio network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand network that's always on for you. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours. Thank you.